You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. feeling today? You guys excited? I hope you are. You sounded like you came to worship, which is um, exciting to me. Uh, we are getting ready to, to dive back into God's Word at this point. My name is Sean. For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, and I am one of the elders here at Grace and also serve on our preaching team, um, both down here and upstairs with our high school, junior high students. And um, I'm excited to walk through the Word together today. We've been in a study in the book of Luke, and uh, the last couple of weeks we actually Fast forwarded, uh, because it was Easter, we had a short Easter series, and now we're sort of rewinding back to chapter 9 where we had been, and we're going to continue uh, in our study through, uh, through the book. And several weeks ago, if you'll remember with me, Jay was preaching, and he preached on discipleship. That is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And the first thing that he uh, said that, that it means is knowing him as your God. If you'll remember with me, Jesus is with his disciples and, and, and they're praying and, and Jesus uh, says to them, he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And, and this is the most important question that we can wrestle with as people. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because if our faith is going to be our own personal faith, then it has to be something that's personal for us, something that we take on ourselves. I would love it if you were lacking in faith, if I could give you some of mine. But I can't. It's something that has to happen between you and God. It has to be your decision. He must be your God. And so that question is one that we should always be wrestling with. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because to follow him uh, he must become our God. Following him also, um, Jay talked about, means living out a new mission. We see this in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, as the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There is a determination that we see here in the spirit of Jesus going on this mission. And Jesus knows when he gets to Jerusalem what's coming for him. He knows that there will be um, an, an arrest and a betrayal and beatings and, and, and an accusations made and convictions made. He'll be hung on a cross and go to a grave. Jesus knows that's all coming. And yet he's so um, resolute, it says, he's so decisive about this mission. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus has always been about this rescue mission to rescue and redeem the broken world back to himself and so being on mission with Jesus is a call for us um, to join that discipleship means following Jesus and 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 doing that kind of mission with him that's what that's what this is all about and this morning we're going to be expanding on those couple of ideas discipleship what does it mean to follow Jesus and then what does serving on mission with him look like what does that practically look like and so we have lots of ground to cover I was assigned lots of verses so um, pray with me and we will get through it I promise we did first hour so pray with me father thank you for this morning again thank you for your word I pray God that your Holy Spirit would help me um, to communicate clearly father um, but more importantly I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts and lives of all of us here God that your spirit would make these truths known that God you would uh, uh, help us cause us to respond to your word and to your spirit working in our lives in such a way that we leave here changed 
God, where we need encouragement, bring encouragement. Where people need to be rebuked, uh, rebuke us, God. Where we need to be corrected in our thinking, correct us. And Father, I pray that we would all leave here closer to you because of your Holy Spirit's working in, in and among and through us. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. If you have your Bible or your tablet or your phone or however you want to follow along, we'll also put the words on the screen. Verse 57, he says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. I think if, if you take this whole section, you can boil it down to this one statement. Um, we need to be following Jesus above all else. Jesus must be first. Jesus can't be second to anything in our life. And Jesus for us here is unpacking three sort of hindrances, things that might um, cause us to, to not follow Jesus at all or not follow him as well. Um, the first one we see here um, in verse 58, it says, the foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Ultimately, what he's talking about here is property, right? Jesus is saying, I don't even have a house or a bed. And, and sometimes our possessions can be like that, our homes and our cars and our boats and our jet skis and our pants and our golf clubs and whatever else it is that we own. Those can be distractions to following Jesus well. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those things. We, we should enjoy the things that God has given to us. But what I am saying is that, that if those things are taking precedence in your life, if the acquisition of more stuff, if the, um, the, the, the stuff that you have just to simply take care of it so consumes your thoughts and your time that you're not following Jesus, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. The next warning that Jesus gives us here is in verse 59. He says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. This is a talking about family. Um, there's nothing wrong with family. Family is a good thing. And it's not normal for Jesus to tell us to leave family to come follow him. In fact, in scripture, just the opposite. Often we're told to love our family, to take care of our family, to provide for our family. But some of you, um, have families that don't encourage your relationship with Jesus. Some of you have people that are close to you that don't encourage your relationship with Jesus. In fact, some of them might even discourage you from that or ridicule you for it. What Jesus is saying here is if that's the case, there can be nothing that comes above your relationship with Jesus, including family. And sometimes we're called to leave family or people close to us because Jesus, following Jesus must come first in our lives. He must be the most important thing to us. The last thing that I see is here in verse 62, Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Here he's talking about work. Now again, there's nothing wrong with work. God made us to be a people that would work even before sin entered the world. Man was given jobs. So work is ultimately a good thing. But again, like our possessions, for some of us, we're so consumed by our work that we don't have time to follow Jesus or we think we don't or maybe we just don't even care that much because we're so worried about work. Some of you, sometimes may you have to work on Sundays because that's just when your job schedule is. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Worship, follow, serve however you can, even if you have to work on Sundays. But my point is, is that if you're so consumed and driven by the work that you do, that there's no room in your life for Jesus, then again, something's wrong. 
Ultimately, these are all excuses um, to, to not following Jesus or not following him well. Because the danger is we can't do what this guy does here in verse 61, where he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but, but, but first. You see, we can't call Jesus Lord and then immediately begin to put limits and dictate what he can be Lord over in our lives. We can't do that. He must be everything. He must be first. One commentator he puts it this way. He says, the crucial question and the one he is asking here concerns what happens at the parting of ways? Suppose I were to lead you towards work in which your income would be lower, your prospects, humanly speaking, more uncertain, and your accustomed standard of living non-existent. Or suppose I were to ask you to do something for me which according to most people of your class and background is simply not done. When it becomes necessary to choose between two ways, which do we follow? Comfort, convention, custom, or Christ. He must be first in our lives. Some people that I think of, that I think do this well, this family here. Um, most of you know who this is. For those of you that don't, this is Matt Patrick and his wife Rhonda. They both serve on staff here. Um, Matt's one of our elders, uh, serves on our preaching team, also is our, our uh, pastor of student ministries. And uh, he's one of my best friends. And when Matt uh, was growing up, he grew up uh, in a family that was Christians. Mom, incredible saint of the Lord. Dad loves the Lord, um, has some struggles, but loves the Lord. And, and, and Matt grew up uh, not really loving the Lord. In fact, Matt grew up uh, not liking Jesus at all. He didn't want anything to do with him. Matt may have even gotten kicked out of a youth group, maybe. That might have happened. Um, but something happened. Matt and Rhonda, they got married. Um, they had these four little kids. They both had really good jobs. They were working out on the coast, um, earning a living, doing life, doing, doing what normal people do. And Rhonda had come to faith in Jesus and had begun to pray for Matt. And something happened through a series of events. Ask Matt to tell you the story because it's an incredible story. Incredible story of redemption in Matt's life. But he met Jesus. And, and he began to love Jesus. He began to follow Jesus. He loved his word. He had a hunger and a thirst for truth and knowledge. So he began to study the scriptures and pour through the scriptures. He would stop throughout the week when he could and stop at the church just to talk with the pastor because he had all these questions he was asking. And about a year into that process, the pastor stopped him one day and just said, Matt, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's something unique about you. There's something unique about your passion for truth, your passion um, for the word of God. Have you ever considered going into vocational ministry, full-time ministry? And Matt's like, no, I, I haven't really considered that. And he said, well, I think you should consider that. And Matt said, okay, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll pray about it. He didn't. Uh, he just went, went, went on about his way. But he was still studying. He was still growing. He was still learning. And um, about a year later, he's meeting with his pastor again, and his pastor said the same thing. Do you remember when we talked about this, Matt? About, about me asking, would you consider going into vocational ministry? And Matt said, oh, I do remember. And he said, will you pray, pray about that? And Matt said, yeah, I, I will, and he, and he meant it this time. And so Matt is thinking about that, but, but, but the idea of what a pastor was in Matt's mind, he didn't fit into it all. In his mind, he couldn't see how that would work, how he, as his personality, would be a pastor. And Matt's one of those guys, if you know Matt, he is um, incredibly passionate about his relationship with Jesus. It's infectious. Yesterday, him and I were riding home from the elder retreat. We're sitting on I-5. It's pouring down rain, and we're just talking in the car, and we're just so excited about this conversation we're having about our faith. It's incredible. Matt's one of those guys that this is, exudes out of him. And so he goes home to his wife, to Rhonda, and, and he says it almost like a joke. He's soft-selling it to her. He's like, man, you wouldn't believe what the, the pastor said to me. He said, you know, would you consider going into vocational ministry? Can you believe he said that? And Rhonda looked him right in the eye and said, 
I think maybe that's exactly what you need to do. Amazing, amazing. And so Matt and Rhonda, they made the decision to, to quit their jobs in, at the coast and move to Portland so Matt could enroll in Multnomah Bible College. Again, their family was this full at the time. They had four little, little kids and so they're leaving um, good jobs, they're leaving a church community, they're leaving uh, uh, friends and family and those kinds of things to move to Portland area so that he could go to Bible school because he wanted to be a pastor. Now on paper, it didn't really look like it was gonna make that much sense because there's all these questions. How will we support ourselves? How are we gonna get through? How are we gonna make ends meet while we do this? And there was a bunch of people around them that continued to come into their lives that would offer support, even financial support. So that was encouraging. But they also had people in their lives, well-meaning, godly people that said, are you sure this is what you should be doing? You should be quitting your job? Those are good questions to ask. But ultimately, Matt and Rhonda were so convicted, so committed to following Jesus that they would go anywhere, that they would do anything. And so even when things didn't seem to make humanly sense, they chose to leave what they knew to go follow where Jesus was leading them. It's incredible. That's the kind of following I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, that when we are that committed to following Jesus, everything is secondary to that. Everything is secondary to that. We must accept the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross and then go wherever he calls us to go and live however he tells us to live, even, even when it's difficult. Because the reality is when we follow Jesus above all else, we get to join him on mission. And it's the same mission that Jesus has always been on. It's just the mission of restoring shalom, putting things back to the way that things always were intended to be before sin entered the world. It's this rescue and redeeming mission that took Jesus to the cross that he resurrected three days later. That's the same mission that he calls us um, to join him on. And so our mission in Christ should always be connected to that, should always be connected back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that, in fact, is the same mission we are on. And so this next story we're gonna look at helps us to illustrate what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? What does that involve? What does that look like? And so uh, we'll start in verse one of chapter 10. We've got 24 to go through. So hang in there. He says this, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead, two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed there, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust from your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Jesus gets kind of serious here. He's gonna say some harsh things. He says, be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and had revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. All right, so Jesus sends the, the, the 72 out on this mission, much like the same mission he sent the 12 disciples out on earlier in chapter nine. It's the same kind of mission. He sends them out two by two, and, and there's some things, four things that we can learn by, by what they looked like while they were serving on mission with Jesus. And the first one I see is here in verse two. He says this, to ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Um, essentially, what he's saying is that serving on mission with Jesus involves dependency uh, on God. And so what does dependency on God look like? It, the, the first thing I want to be clear about what dependency on God is not is this phrase that sometimes you hear inside of Christian circles that says something like, just let go and let God. That, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the fact that we should just, you know, sit on our couch, do absolutely nothing because God's going to take care of everything. Um, we're called to actively participate in this mission. We're called to be on mission with Jesus, but it starts with a ultimate dependency on God. That's why he tells them to, to ask um, God, to, to pray to God. And, and I think that's a great place for us to start in our dependency on God. Sometimes I'll start to prep sermons or start to read the Bible or start to prep to teach upstairs, and I won't even stop and pray because I'm an academic kind of dude and I think I can just hammer it out. I can't. I'm, I'm desperate for the spirit of God's help in my life. Sometimes when we're at elder meetings, in fact, yesterday at our elder retreat at the coast, this happened. Um, we'll be talking about some issues and going through some things or making plans. And one, one of the guys or another, usually it's Steve Matthews or, or, or Jerry Smith, these guys are incredible men, they'll just say, we need to stop and pray about this. And they're right. We do, and we stop in the moment. We pray, we seek the Spirit, we ask God to, to come into our lives and to, to help us to make wise decisions, to, to, to show us where he wants us to go. Because prayer, you see, has, has kind of three elements to it. There are certainly more, but three benefits that I see inside of prayer. And the first one is that it just, it reveals our need for God. It brings God glory by submitting to him in prayer and saying, I need your help, God. And that's one of the best things that we can do. It's one of the best postures we can be in is to start from that, that place of humility. It also aligns our hearts with God's as we sit and listen to God and we ask the King of kings and Lord of lords for his spirit to work in our hearts and lives. He corrects our thinking where it's wrong. He, he renews our mind. He helps us to see more like he sees. He helps us to know what it is that he wants us to do in our lives. But the third thing, and maybe the most important thing, is that when we pray to the Father, we look like Jesus, don't we? Because Jesus, when he was in his earthly ministry, he prayed to the Father all the time. He was 100% completely dependent on the Father and on the Spirit of God to dwell with him and work within him to empower him to go to the cross and through the grave. And so when we choose to be dependent on God, we have that same Spirit, that same power available to us. I think as Christians, we sell ourselves far too short because we get neglectful in leaning on the Spirit of God. I do this in my own life. 
I think I'm a pretty competent dude, so I go through life just, just launching into things. I need God to work in my life. That's what this is talking about. Being on mission with Jesus is that prayer, that time with the Lord, asking his spirit, listening to his spirit, and allowing that spirit to work, to motivate, to animate, and to encourage and empower us to do what it is he wants us to do because we can't be effective without it. We, we can't be effective without it when we're on mission with Jesus. The second thing I see is here, verses five, seven, and eight. He says, when you enter a house, he says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Ultimately, what I see serving on mission with Jesus involving is, is relationships and people's lives. You see them going to homes. We see them staying in homes and eating and drinking and being with those people, building relationships. You see, what you need to understand about this culture is that uh, the Jewish home, and in particular the Jewish table, where they would have meals, was one of the, the most protected areas of Jewish communal life. It was so, so, so important to them. And it's not totally unlike our culture today, right? When we have a special occasion or we want to honor somebody, usually it will involve a meal of some kind, doesn't it? As a side note, um, I, I want to encourage all of you, and I'm encouraging myself the same thing. You need to have more dinners around your table with your family, right? We're busy. We've got a lot going on and a lot of things in our life, and sometimes we'll sit in front of the TV and just watch TV if we all happen to be at home at dinner at the same time. There's nothing wrong with doing that sometimes, but something happens when you get around a table, when there's no distractions, no devices, there's no TV, there's no, maybe there's music, I don't know. But something happens in that. You begin to talk, you begin to encourage, you get, begin to be with one another and really hear from each other. Something we've done in my family recently is we have a Sunday night family dinner every week. It's wonderful. It's one of my favorite times of the week. So again, side note, but I encourage you to do that. Because here's the thing, when we're in relationship with people, when we're in relationship with them in their lives, doing things, having meals together, it presents opportunities for us to share the gospel with them. It presents opportunities for us to um, invite them into the kingdom of God so that hopefully they can experience the kind of hope and joy and redemption that we've experienced. And so my encouragement, my question for you now, is what opportunities are there before you in relationships? Right, when we seek the Spirit of God to empower us, to show us where he wants us to go and what it is he wants us to do, then um, a trip to the ball field to watch your kids play in a sport is so much more than just a trip to the ball field. Because there may be somebody sitting on the sideline, maybe even from the other team, that God wants you to go in and, and minister to them today. Right? A trip to the grocery store is not just a trip to get food for your, for your family and for your home. Because there are clerks that work there, and they usually work similar shifts. So if you happen to go shopping at roughly the same time of day, you might see them again and again and again. That can be an opportunity to build a relationship with them, to speak hope to them, to, to maybe one day get to share the gospel with them. There's opportunities all around us all of the time, and if we are dependent on the Spirit of God and we're seeking those opportunities and being carried along by His Spirit, we're going to see them. We need to be taking advantage of them. Which brings us to our next point. We see this in verse 9. He says to them, heal the sick. Tell them that the kingdom of God um, has come near. Ultimately, what I believe he's telling us here is that relationships and serving with Jesus involves action and effort. It takes work. Again, it's not about let go and let God. We're, we're called here. We're, in fact, commanded to do a couple of things. He tells us to heal the sick, and he tells us to proclaim the gospel. That's what it means to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. And so healing, I think, is multi-layered, though. There's, there's sort of three areas of healing. The first one we usually think of is physical, isn't it? When we think of healing that we need, it's usually an injury or an illness that we need healed from. 
And sometimes our tendency to, is to think, well, I'm not a doctor or I'm not a nurse or somebody in the medical profession, so I can't really heal anybody. And that's just not true. It's just not true. Um, the first and main thing you can do to help bring healing into people's lives um, in all areas, but especially in physically, is to simply pray for them. And one of my good friends emailed me last night. He's very, very sick. He has pneumonia. Uh, he was in the hospital. He's out now. I, I trust by God's grace he'll recover, but he, he just said, Sean, I need prayer. So I stopped last night prepping for my sermon, just spent some time praying for him. I love my friend. I want him to get well. And, and I think sometimes we discount the power of prayer in people's lives. We discount the opportunity that we have when we go to the God of all gods, the King of all kings, who made all of our bodies and knows them better than any of us ever could. And we can ask him to heal the people around us. You know, sometimes he chooses to use modern medicine and technology that we have. Those are great gifts from God. We should be using those. They're wonderful. And sometimes he chooses to heal miraculously where there's no explanation for this person's healing other than a miracle happened. You might think, I've never seen that, Sean. I'm a little skeptical of that. I have seen that. I have experienced that. I have prayed for people in this building and they were miraculously healed because God wanted to heal them. So don't discount that. Don't discount the power that it is to heal people, to bring physical healing. Other things you can do to help bring physical healing, maybe somebody has an ongoing doctor's appointment, and so you just want to go be with them, sit with them, drive them to their appointment. My wife had a very good friend who was battling brain cancer years and years ago, and that's one thing she would do, just to go help her, her friend to, to bring healing. We, we, we shouldn't discount that. The second kind of healing we, we can need, and we all need this at times in our lives, is emotional healing. This is about being a friend. This is about really caring, really carrying burdens with people, right? It's about being with them because in our world, man, people are hurting. Some of you are hurting. Man, there's so much shame and guilt and pain and scars that are all emotional, right? Sometimes those scars and things are there because of our own sin. Sometimes our scars are there because of other people's sin. And sometimes it's just because life circumstances are hard sometimes. But we all need emotional healing at times in our lives. And so maybe the best thing you can do is to just go be with people. Be with the people that you've developed relationships with. Some people have helped to heal me emotionally in my life. They've spoken words over me. They've spoken truth to me. They've spoken encouragement to me. And sometimes they haven't said anything at all. They've just sat with me. Those are the kinds of things that we need to be about when we are healing people emotionally. And the last kind of healing that I see, and it is the most important kind of healing that, that we need, is to be spiritually healed. That's why it tells us in this verse that we need to go and proclaim the gospel um, of God to people. We need to go tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. And that happens in the context of relationships. Again, it's happening inside of people's homes. And it takes work and intentionality on our part, but it's something that we all must be about doing. And sometimes it's not overt. Sometimes God has not called us to go and, and have a formal Bible study with somebody. But maybe it's about just loving them and serving them. I'm not talking about hiding your faith. I'm talking about reflecting the glory of God and his spirit, what he's done in your life out into the world um, in such a way that somebody notices what's going on. So sometimes it's not overt. Sometimes it's just living your life well for the kingdom. But it is also about being ready to share your story when the opportunity presents itself. Jay talked about this a few uh, weeks ago, and he said this. He said, if you're a Jesus follower, then you have a redemption story to tell. And those stories are so, so, so important. You guys remember this woman? 
This, this lady is um, my sister in Christ, and I've never met her. Um, but this is a, Melissa, and, and we showed this video last week on Easter, and this is a, a, a woman who recently has begun coming to Grace um, right before Christmas of this year. And uh, uh, sometime in January, she came to know the Lord. She came to know Jesus as her Savior and her Lord. And one of the things that I'm so encouraged about is she uh, felt the courage to, to allow us to share her story because her story matters. Um, there's a Big Daddy Weave song called My Story, and it says, to tell of my story is to tell of him. And that's true. That's what she's doing here in this video. If you haven't seen it, go to our website, find the link and watch it. Incredible story of redemption. We need to be all about sharing those because when I hear Melissa's story, I'm encouraged in my faith. I'm uh, uh, spurred on to good works. I want to love better. I want to serve better. Um, Melissa's problems aren't all gone in her life because she knows Jesus. You know, she still has things she's wrestling with, she says in the video. But what she does have now is hope and encouragement, and life in Christ. And that is the most important kind of healing that we um, can have. And sometimes I think, too, there's a tendency to think, I need to have all the answers. I need to have everything down. Especially maybe for somebody like Melissa, who's a relatively new believer. They think, man, I don't want anybody to ask me any hard questions about the Bible or about God, because what if I don't know the answer? Well, my encouragement to you is, welcome to the club. I sit at preaching team every single week with myself excluded. These men are all very highly educated theologically. They've been to Bible school. They've been to seminary. These guys know their stuff. And I know quite a bit about God. I've studied a lot myself, although I'm not formally educated. But there are still some things inside of our discussions sometimes where we'll sit around the table and we'll be like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know. And sometimes I think that's the best thing we can do, to honestly admit what we don't know, invite those people then into the community of Christ where we can sit and learn and discover those truths about God together. We can, we can do that, but it does take effort. Um, the last thing we see um, is this. It's about leaving the results to God. Jesus talks about this in verse 16. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Ultimately, we are joining Jesus on the same mission that he's always been on. But ultimately, it's Jesus' mission, right? But, but he says something here that is astounding because what Jesus does is he draws a very clear line between the church, himself, his word, and God the Father, and so what that means is that Jesus' mission, when we step into the kingdom of God, becomes our mission too. It's our mission to serve. That's why it's not let go and let God. That's why it's, we are on mission, actively serving and loving and, and, and reaching as most people as we can for the kingdom of God. But if you're like me, it can get a, a little discouraging at times. Because for some of you, there may be people in your lives that you have been praying for, loving, serving, um, um, pouring into for years and years, and nothing is happening, or at least it feels that way. And for others of us, it's, it's, it's a persecution. I had a friend of mine recently share to me that he's feeling just persecuted by his own family because him and his wife are kind of the only believers that are around. His, his kids aren't, the rest of his family isn't, and so they, they suffer some shots and some things said and sometimes there's ridicule and things and that can get so discouraging. Jesus' encouragement to us here is that if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And so ultimately, we need to be about leaving the results to God. This is what Paul was talking about um, over in 1 Corinthians. There was this dispute going on between a guy named Paul and a guy named Apollos. And not between them, but between the, the believers in the church. And some were saying, oh, I like Paul better. And some were saying, oh, I like Apollos better. 
Paul says this, he says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. He says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. You see that? We have a purpose. We have um, roles to play. We have jobs to do. That is, we need to be all about planting as much seed as we can um, everywhere that we can. We need to be about throwing as much water on those seeds. But the results are ultimately up to God's. They're ultimately up up to him um, to do. Um, And so that's what we need to be about. We need to be about all of these things as we serve on mission um, with Jesus. And so as we get ready to respond, as we get ready to go back into worship, worship team, come forward. I wanna ask you a few questions, but first I wanna draw your attention to the the back of the note sheet, the sermon note sheet. If you didn't get one, they're on this table um, down the center aisle here on the back. We write discussion questions on the back of the note sheet for you to think about, to engage more fully with with what's been talked about and what's been going on. Some of our small groups use them to go through, and that's wonderful. But my encouragement to you would be, um, this week sometime, and maybe every week, spend 10 or 15 minutes sitting just by yourself and go through those questions. Think through them, because they will help you further engage with what we've talked about on Sunday morning. But the questions I wanna leave with you are this. The first one is this, have you made the decision to follow Jesus? If you have made that decision, have you chosen to follow him on his terms, according to his word, obeying everything that he says? Or are you like those guys earlier in our story, trying to make excuses about why you can't follow fully or why you can't follow at all? The last question I have is this, is are you intentionally engaging in people's lives for the sake of introducing them to our great God and Savior? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the word of God. And Father, I pray that your spirit would would continue to work in our hearts now. God, as we worship you, we love you. Um, We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are, we're gonna celebrate communion. And communion, um, kind of like in our story where we talked about eating and being with people, communion is a simple meal. It's about eating a simple meal with Jesus and with his family. And so it's a special, special time because when we take this, this simple bread, this, this cracker, um, which represents Jesus' body broken on the cross, and when we take this simple um, little cup of juice, which represents his blood spilled for us on the cross, What we're doing when we're having this meal with Jesus is we are declaring what he um, did that we celebrated last weekend, his death, burial, and resurrection. We're also declaring what it is he will do when one day, by God's grace, he comes back for us. But we're also declaring what he is doing right now inside all our lives by the power of his spirit as we live on mission with Jesus. And so I invite you this morning to just come. Come have a meal with Jesus. Um, and then take your elements back to your seat. I'll come back up. We'll take communion together as a family. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews is reminding us of what it is that we have in Christ. He's reminding us of what it is that Jesus' body broken on the cross for us, Jesus' blood spilled out on the cross for us, um, gains for us. 
He says this in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The most holy place was that spot in the temple where God's presence most dwelled. And, and, and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection um, bought for us confidence to enter that same place. He says, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our, water, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's remember what he's done for us as we eat together. That's, that's what we're invited to, to participate in on mission with Jesus. And it's interesting to me because he sends about on this mission and tells them, you're going to be like lambs among wolves. Don't take anything. This is going to be a hard journey. And so you would think that they would come back discouraged. You would think that they would come back beaten down and exhausted and worn out. But they don't at all. Remember our story? They came back excited and joyful. They're so excited about what they saw, what they got to participate in. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to, to us at your name. And Jesus, he, he, he helps them to see where their joy should really be placed. He says, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where our joy comes from, from our positional knowing who we are in Christ. And so if we're saved, if we're in his kingdom, if we love him like that, then man, there's more joy, there's more hope, there's more pleasure. Did you see Tally worshiping this morning? I love it. It draws me into worship. She probably hates that I said that. It's amazing to me because I love to see people joyful in the Lord, and that's what we have the opportunity to experience. Paul, in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, he is um, addressing the resurrection. He's talking about what does the resurrection mean for us, and he says this, verse 55, 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, and I will say this to you as well as my family in Christ locally, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, stand firm. Let nothing move you, nothing. And always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Grace. I hope you have an amazing week. If you're one of our guests and want to join us at our next class, it's right down the hall here. We love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.